thought I would whisper it. You guys heard me well. Wow, that was fun. Wow. Kind of hard to know what to do after something like that. You guys can come up closer. For, for those of you that are online, and hold on. Guys, pull your phones out and hop on the feed in, in Bliss and tag your friends. Thanks for the replay. What? Are you tagging away? Yeah, that's just fun. Are you liking things, Christy? <laughs> oh. Okay. Okay. We will we will start officially. We'll start. You tagged Lily. All right. Now that we have appropriate get on now and watch. Okay. <laughs> Father, oh my goodness. Wow. We love you. We love you. We love being yours. We love being touched by you. We love feeling you all around us. We love being considered by you. We love being loved by you. Thank you for being with us. Amen. Guys are really good at this. <laughs> we are tagging away. All right. So I was kind of like, this was thrown at me last minute, didn't know what to do. And I actually I text Lisa. <laughs> when in doubt, use a shout out. <laughs> it's like, Lisa, what do the women want to hear? <laughs> and she sent me the loveliest text in response and it was it was long and it was involved and oh Calicia nice nice ad um and it, it just you know sometimes you just need help to get your your mind running in the right direction and she listed off some things that I know are hard for us especially as women and one of the things that she hit hard on was shame that so often we deal with shame and, and we wear shame. And so that got me thinking. I was like, oh my gosh, we do. We wear many hats as women and not all of them are appropriate. Not all of them are true of us. So God started talking to me about what we are clothed in. So I just went with a simple title, clothed, seemed appropriate. And I was immediately reminded of Ezekiel 16. Whew. It's a loaded chapter. We're going to get there. But first I want to read. I want to read Isaiah first. It's a little softer. Can we start soft and then ramp it up? Okay. Because it's going to get sharp. It's going to get sharp. For those of you online, thank you for being with us. 
thanks for responding to your invitations. <laughs> we're in Isaiah 62, and we're just going to read the first five verses. For Zion's sake, how can I keep silent? For Jerusalem's sake, how can I remain quiet? I will keep interceding until her righteousness breaks forth like the blazing light of dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. What a picture. I will not keep silent and I will not remain quiet. Is this true of us? Not yet. Not yet. We are not those who can stand here and say that I have not remained quiet and I have not remained silent. Because shame, right? So often shame and fear become something that we put on and wear. And then we remain silent and we get quiet. But I love this picture. I will keep interceding until her righteousness breaks forth like the blazing light of dawn. Wow. Wow. Sometimes I'm up before the sun is all the way up and the backyard is still very dark and I let Shane, the dog, out. And and the oh, not everybody knows who Shane is. It's fine. <laughs> and And the sun is barely like peeking over the houses behind the yard. And it's so brilliant, you know, when there's just even the smallest sliver of light. It just breaks through, right? So if we could just be the smallest sliver of light, we would break through. And her salvation like a burning torch. Anybody want to be like a burning torch? Nations will see your victory vindication and every king will witness your blinding radiance. Should I read that one again? Nations will see your victory vindication and every king will witness your blinding radiance. What a picture. And this isn't talking about us as individuals. This is talking about us as the church, the bride of Christ. This is, this is his desire. Lord Jesus, what is your desire? This is his desire, right? that the nations would see the blinding brilliance of his bride who will not keep silent, who will not be quiet. What a picture. When you asked him, show me myself clothed, this is the picture you'll see. Blinding brilliance, light. You will, you will be called by a brand new name given to you from the mouth of Yahweh himself. You will be a, a beautiful crown held high in the hand of Yahweh, a royal crown of splendor held in the open palm of your God. Just take a second. Close your eyes and visualize it. You are a royal diadem. In the hand of God. Just look at it. You can move around and see it from different angles. What gemstones do you see? Look how it sparkles and shines. 
watch how the light hits the different jewels. You are a royal crown in the hand of God. Mm. You will never again be called the abandoned one. Nor will your land be called deserted. But you will be called my delight is in you. Oh my gosh. Take that shame. Right? Take that shame. Take that fear. My name is my delight is in you. Say that over yourself. My name is my delight is in you. That's what God calls you. When he looks at you, he's like, my delight is in you. Right? But you will be called, my delight is in you, and your land, my beloved wife. For Yahweh finds his delight in you, and he married your land. As a young man marries the young woman he loves, so your builder sons will marry you. As the bridegroom finds joy in his union with his bride, so will your God take joy in his union with you. Sounds like it, right? Clothed in blinding brilliance, a royal crown that sits in the palm of his hand. When he calls you, it's hey you, delight, right? Ha! That's so good. It's so good. Now that we have an appropriate picture of what it is that we're clothed in, we're going to be able to better understand some of, some of you are interacting (laughs) from the room. This is fantastic. (laughs) I was like, whoa. (laughs) We're going to be able to better understand when he, because chapter 16 of Ezekiel, it goes it goes. Okay. Like we know that he's not playing around right now, that he wants a pure and spotless bride. And we have to read the parts of our Bibles that make us cringe a little bit, that turn up the fire a little bit. Do you know, it's going to take his fire. It's going to take his fire to be able to offer him what he's worthy of. It is. It's going to take his fire. And what we don't rightly understand is if that we don't relent to his fire, it will come at us and pierce us and it'll be painful and it will be crushing. But we have the opportunity to actually invite it before it even comes. We have the opportunity to partner with him. And his plan, because he has spoken it. He has said, I'm releasing my fire because I'll have a pure and spotless bride. How do you think we become pure and spotless? It's by his fire. It's his fire. So let's partner with it now on this side so that when it comes, we're the ones standing there ready. And that fire, when it comes, like a fury towards us, we're like, oh, his love is overwhelming. Rather than, whoa, what is this? We will respond in one of two ways. 
your love is overwhelming, or oh my gosh, what have I done wrong? Your love is overwhelming, or you will feel judged. You might as well invite it now because it's coming, right? It is. It's coming. And I don't think that it's something that we have to be afraid of. This is something we need to desire. We want what he has for us. Do you know that part of his desire is to release all of his glory through you? He wants to release his glory through you. When it says that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the water covers the sea, we forget how that's going to happen. It's through us. We are his glory dispensers. Do you ever have a Pez dispenser when you were little? We are his glory dispenser. You are his glorious Pez dispenser. You were designed to hold glory and release it. What we have going on so much right now is we're just holding. We're holding and we're holding and we're holding and we're holding to the point where we don't even know who we are anymore. We get into this, this space of deliberation and then that space takes us because we're still not making any decisions. And then we're in the valley of indecision, right? We've talked about that before. <laughs> and the valley of indecision is a painful place to exist in. Because we will not put any action behind what it is that he's saying. We just sit. And hope that somehow, some way. He picks me up and makes me move. But you know full well that's not how this is happening. He's looking for partnership. He's looking for willing vessels to display himself through. All right. Are you ready for Ezekiel chapter 6? Okay. I will tell you, that in the footnotes, it actually says that Ezekiel chapter 16 was not allowed to be read aloud <laughs> back in the days because it's so explicit. You'll see. You'll get squirmy. Verse 1, <laughs> Yahweh spoke again to me saying, Son of man, confront Jerusalem concerning all the despicable things they have done. Tell them, Lord Yahweh says to you, your ancestral origins were in the land where the Canaanites lived. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, there was no one there to cut your umbilical cord or wash you clean in water. There was no one there to rub you with salt and oil or wrap you in a baby blanket. No one did anything to help you. No one felt sorry for you or showed sympathy for you. Instead, you were dumped into an open field and forgotten. From the day you were born, you were rejected and unloved. Then I passed by, and I saw you there squirming in your blood. 
And as you lay there covered with blood, I spoke over you, live. This is, I want you to have this encounter. I don't want us to just read. I want us to have an encounter. I want you to hear the voice of the Lord saying, live, live. We've grown content to just sit around doing nothing. And he wants you to live. He rescued you from infancy in your own blood. And he said to you, live. And look what else. And I made you grow and flourish like the grass of the fields. You grew up and developed. You grew up and developed until you produced the most beautiful features. You developed breasts and hair of a young woman, but you were still quite naked and exposed. Then later, I passed by again and looked upon you. And behold, I saw that your time had come. You were now old enough for love. So I spread the edge of my robe over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my sacred oath. I, Lord Yahweh, made a divine covenant with you saying, you will be mine. And I took you as my own and I promised to care for you. Man, a lot of people say that Song of Songs is steamy. Right? This is intimacy. This is like pure intimacy. He's saying, you are mine. I will have you all to myself. I raised you up. I caused you to live. And I will have you to myself. Where was I? I lost my place. Where? Thank you. If I could only find nine in here. Found it. Then I washed the blood off, off you and anointed you with fragrant oil. I dressed you in beautiful embroidered gowns, fine leather shoes, a fine linen headband, and wrapped you in rich fabric. Don't think for one second that God does not have good taste. Seriously, have you ever asked him, what shall I wear today? He's got good taste. And this is, this you could easily like look into the story of Esther too and find these same kinds of things going on where she is, she, she goes through 12 months of being bathed in perfumes and oils and dressed to the nines, right? Like she is worthy of being in the presence of a king who you could only be in his presence if he extended his scepter, otherwise you die, right? I just want to read this again because I want us to really understand. I gave you my sacred oath. I, Lord Yahweh, made a divine covenant with you saying you will be mine and I took you as my own and promised to care for you. Then I washed the blood off of you and anointed you with fragrant oil. I dressed you in beautiful embroidered gowns, fine leather shoes, a fine linen headband, and wrapped you in rich fabric. I adorned you with jewels, 
beautiful bracelets and necklaces. I gave you a nose ring and earrings and placed a sparkling crown on your head. I actually used this, this scripture right here as an excuse to get my nose pierced. <laughs> Any other ladies out there? <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, you were decked with gold and silver jewelry and dressed in luxurious linen and rich embroidered cloth. Okay, he's going to go into to what, what she was eating. But before we go there, like, do you get it? Are you seeing this picture? Like, he lavished costly things on her. We have to stop thinking that it doesn't matter what it is that we dress ourselves in. It matters. It matters. He wouldn't go into such detail if it didn't matter. It matters. And again, I'm not telling you what you should wear. You need to ask him, what do I look like? What do I look like today? This has kind of become a little bit of a theme around here where the Lord is kind of like, all right, people, <laughs> like it's time to start paying attention to what you're wearing. And for whatever reason, like this, I kid you not. One morning I pulled out jeans to put on. He goes, you're going to wear that. I was like, guess not. He cares. He cares. He cares what we're dressing ourselves in. He cares about every single detail. The moment that you think he doesn't care about something that you're doing is the moment that you missed it. He cares. He cares very much. Your meals were feasts made with the best bread, honey, and oil. You grew more and more beautiful, and you rose to be queen. And you became famous throughout the world because the splendor I lavished on you made your beauty perfect, declares Lord Yahweh. I lavished, because the splendor I lavished on you made your beauty perfect. Because of the splendor I lavished on you made your beauty perfect. How are you resisting God's lavish hand? How are we resisting his lavish hand? He's after a pure and spotless bride. How are you resisting his lavish hand to perfect beauty? When you look in the mirror, are you having a disagreement with the Father? Ah, oh, look at the new wrinkles I've got around my eyes. Oh, look how pasty white I am. Thought I would bring it down to your level. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. That, that when we resist his lavish hand, we're actually putting ourselves in a disagreement with God. And now we're using the feed for a journal. That's fantastic. <laughs> Verse 15. <laughs> 
And this is where the story starts to change. This is where you will see what happens when we began to resist his lavish hand. This is where what he has is no, no longer enough for us. This is where we decide, I got this. Thank you, but no thanks. I've got this. This is where we're no longer living a consecrated life before him. This is where we've decided that we have our own path of holiness. And we begin to erect idols. And we become adulterous lovers. And this is what it says. Verse 15. But you became confident in your own beauty and used your fame to act like a prostitute. You offered your sexual favors for each one who came along and, and you became his. You took some of your fine clothes to decorate the tents on the high places where you worked as a prostitute. You also took your gold and silver jewelry, which I had given you, and made yourself male images and acted like a prostitute with them. You took your embroidered clothes and used them to dress them up, and you offered them my sacred oil and my sacred incense. I gave you food made with the best flour, olive oil, and honey, but you offered it as a fragrant incense to these idols. I, Lord Yahweh, declare that is exactly what you did. Now, before you let yourself off, he's not talking about a real prostitute, a real act of prostitution. This is allegorical. And he's revealing his heart toward his bride. And what he's saying is everything that I lavished on you, when I perfected your beauty, you have taken and began to decorate all these other things that you have turned and found your image in. Shame, fear, jealousy, infighting, guilt. See, our idols might not look like Israel's. We aren't exactly melting down gold that we took from Egypt and molding gold calves. That's not what our idols are. Our idols are, I'm too far gone for you to help me, Lord. Our idols are shame. Our idols are possibly even silence. Our idols are jealousy. Anything that keeps us from moving has become an idol in our life. Anything that keeps you from moving to pursue holiness in a consecrated life with the Lord Jesus Christ has become an idol. If you want to get real serious, you can even ask him, where am I having an adulterous affair? It's not just about idolatry. 
He has to be first. In Revelation 2, when, when Jesus tells him, write this letter to the church. The church of Laodicea. And he tells them, you've done all these things really well. You have been great in this and you've been great in that and you've done this and that. It's just great. He says, but I have this one thing against you. You have abandoned your first love. You have turned your back on our fiery love. It's a pretty big deal. Because he tells them that if you cannot be neither hot nor cold, then I will just spit you out. We like to think that he's just going to be okay with our little bitty idols. As long as they're like the little green army men, it's going to be okay. Right? They're just, they're just, just little Jesus. They're really not that big. It's not that big of a deal. I really wasn't that offended, Jesus. It's just a little green army guy. It's fine. I'm not going to let it go, though, because I might need to use it as some ammo later. <laughs> this is what we do. This is how we act. This is what keeps us from staying in our lavish garments because we are addicted to offense. We're addicted to being offended. And offense has become an idol. And it's standing in the way between me pursuing him. Right? And all you have to do is take a quick little walk through the Old Testament to see how he feels about idols. You know? And again, like, we don't necessarily have people erecting idols. Like, you know, if people were to come in here and start, like, bringing their idols with them, we would have a serious problem on our hands. But somehow in the church, we're okay with our idols of offense and our idols of shame and our idols of fear. What is wrong with us? How have we allowed this? How are we okay with this? How are we not confronting one another going, get rid of it, it's killing you, right? How are we not being way more upfront about these things? I will have nothing before you, God. I will have nothing before you. You know, we talked about the story of David wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, remember? Remember, take one, disaster right? Take one was all about the entourage and the big parade and, and look at me in my royal robes, right? It became more about the procession than it did about the king that was in the box, right? Take two, everybody went together and they celebrated the king that was being held in this, this box of covet, like, oh, his presence was there. But do you remember? This is the part that's really important. The second time around, every six steps, they made a sacrifice. Every six steps. And this is like burned in me. I can't move around it because honestly, it only takes me about six steps to get off track. 
You know I'm not lying. It only takes you six steps, too. It takes you five. Thanks for your honesty. Thanks for your honesty. It doesn't take us very long. But the thing is, is once we start practicing his presence and we allow his holiness to guide us, those six steps are going to eventually become 10, 15, 20, a whole day, right? Like, can we make it a whole day before we're offended and building an idol? Can we? Can we make it a whole hour? Do you guys, seriously, six steps. Six steps. That's seconds before they needed to be reminded of what they were housing, of what it is that they're carrying. I want us to remember. I want us to remember what it is that we are housing. We are glory dispensers, right? We are glory dispensers, but we cannot have any kind of free flow if we're going to be offended every third step. If I can't continue to have a free flow of glory coming out of me when I'm with you because you offend me, that's a problem. You know, it's a problem. This is where we need to begin to practice forgiveness right? We need to be quick to forgive. And this is going to have to become very blatant on our part. Like, oh my gosh, Robin, when that just happened, like I felt like this way and I don't want to feel like that way anymore. So like, I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? Like we just need to be quick. We do. We need to be quick. Let's not carry offense because you know what happens. You know what happens. This one little thing, what? She looked at me wrong. Yep. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, that turns into this change in narrative about her. And all of a sudden, she's the world's worst. And now I am building a solid Because if I have a problem with you, I have a problem with God, right? I need to be quick to forgive. Who remembers where I was at? I know where I'm at. Verse 20, you even took the sons and daughters I had given you and sacrificed them as food for the idols. As if your prostitution was not bad enough, you slaughtered my children and burned them as offerings to idols. While you were doing the things I hate and behaving like a prostitute, you entirely forgot how you were when you were young. I found you naked and exposed, squirming in your own blood. I love how, I mean, like, hear the kindness in God to keep reminding her. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember your first love? Do you remember that first time you set eyes on him? The first time you felt his presence and your entire body was covered with goosebumps? Do you remember the first time he came so near that you lost control of all of your emotions and you just began to wail before him because you couldn't keep it in anymore? Do you remember? 
have to remember. In the middle of it all, we need to remember who he is and what he's done. Now, I, Lord Yahweh, say you are doomed. Not only did you do these evil things, in every city square you built an elevated shrine for the worship of idols. At the entry to every alley, you put up your brothel and dragged your beauty through the mud. You spread your legs to all who passed by in countless acts of prostitution. You slept with your well-endowed neighbors, the Egyptians, provoking my anger with your lifestyle of a prostitute. So listen, I have taken action to punish you and remove your portion of my blessing. I have put you at the mercy of your en enemies, the Philistine women who blushed over your lewd behavior. Still unsatisfied, you prostituted yourself to the Assyrians and played the harlot with them. But even then, you were not satisfied. You committed further acts of fornication with the Babylonians, the nation of merchants, but that did not satisfy you. I, Lord Yahweh, say, you make me extremely angry because of all these things that you have done. You have acted like a brazen prostitute who has no shame. You built an elevated shrine on every street to worship idols. Put up your pavilion in every public square. But you are not like a common prostitute just out for the money. You are an adulterous wife who would rather have sex with strangers than her husband. Men will pay a prostitute, but you give presents to all your lovers. You bribe them to come from everywhere just to sleep with you. You are so different from other prostitutes. No one came to ask you for sex. The men you slept with did not pay you, but you paid them. Therefore, you are worse than a prostitute. Can you feel his heart? Like it's so broken. He wants his bride, his collective bride back. Look what we've done. Look what we've done with our churches. Look what we've done. We've made it about everything but him. We've made it about everything but him. We've even managed to prostitute prophecy. We put a price tag on it. Hey, give me some money and I'll give you a word. What is that? What is that? What have we done? The church has gone so far off base. We've dragged its beauty through the mud, and he wants his bride back. He wants his bride back. He wants you back in fullness, pure, spotless. I hope you're, you're, you're picking up on how the story has escalated. Started off little. She turned away a little bit. She stayed still for a little while. And then eventually she gave herself completely to other lovers. She took everything that he gave her to dress up her idolatrous life. 
And when the idols didn't satisfy, she went after the men of different nations, different gods, right? I'm afraid that we've done this in our churches too. We've invited other gods in. We've allowed different spirits to come and be comfortable in our church services. When we allow offense and jealousy and fear and shame to take up residence, it's no different. It's no different. He's after a pure and spotless bride because it's what's best for us. He's coming at us right now with fire because it's what's best for us. There's a lot that needs to be burned up. There is. I know that's what's true of me. I, I, every six steps, you guys, I just admitted it. Serenity's at five. Every six steps. I need to be reminded of who I am. I forget all the time. All the time. You know when I forget most? In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. It's when I forget most. For some reason I can't sleep. That's when I forget the most. And that's when I allow the worry that the worry to come in and, and start to plague me. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so true. What and I start playing the following the, the trail of all the worry and the fear. And then I've created an idol. I've created a space where I think that God isn't big enough. Right? I've said, you're not big enough. This worry is bigger than you. Real talk. Moms, we do this. We do this all the time. We project worry on our children all the time. We're teaching our children idolatrous ways. Serve worry. Serve fear. But we don't find our Father God talking to the one he found squirming in its own blood, needing its umbilical cord cut. We don't find him projecting worry. <gasps> how did you get there? How, how did that happen? That's not what we find him doing. He came in like a kinsman redeemer, picked her up and cleaned her off and clothed her in the best of the best. And he said... Live. Live. He said, live. We play around with addictive behaviors, thinking that that's okay. It's not. It's not. It's not. Because remember, anything that is between me and him is in the way right? It's just not. It's not okay. There are things that we have gotten away with over the last 15 to 20 years that we will not anymore. 
And the thing is, is I can't tell you what that looks like for you. You have to actually spend the time with him. What does it look like for me to be wholly yours in this season? What does it look like for me to be on fire before you? What does it look like for me to be a living sacrifice? Jesus. And then ask him how to do it. Don't stop asking him questions. Keep asking until you're doing it. When I coached volleyball, there were, there were girls on our team who, who thought they were more athletic than they really are. And in volleyball, your approach to an attack is really, really important. The, the technique is really important. There's a cadence to it. And it's really important that you get that down or you will never be able to actually hit the ball with the amount of power that you need to. And I would stand there and I would watch some of these girls going, oh my gosh, they think they're better than they are. And I'm not mocking them. I, this is serious. I'm serious. It was like this moment of like, oh no. Like in their minds, they're really good. But they weren't, you know? And I think that we've done this a little bit in the church where we've been watching each other going like, oh my gosh, they think they're living a consecrated life, but they're not. They think that they're wholly devoted to, to Jesus, but, but they're not. And so the only thing I knew to do was to ask them. I gave them a homework assignment. I said, okay, before the next practice, I need you all to go and I want you to pick out your favorite volleyball player, the one that you want to attack like. And some of them didn't. Some of them did. And yeah, let's, let's not talk about the ones that didn't. Um, and, and the ones that did, it was fascinating to me because they were like really powerful hitters. And I was like, you want to hit like that? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, how close to that do you think you are? Well, I think I've got it down. It was actually scary how off their perception was of themselves. This is why we are created as a body. We need one another. We need honest feedback. The only thing I had left to do to help them, because listen, I'm a helper. My job is to help them become what they want to be. I had no choice but to film them. Okay, show me. Show me your attack. And so I would record it. And then I'd be like, come here, let's look, let's look. And they'd be like, let me do it again. Can you record it again? Like, I, I messed up. I wasn't feeling it. You know what I'm saying? But every time, see, they were willing to put the work in in their minds only. They weren't actually willing to put the work in physically. They sat around dreaming up what they thought they were, but they could never become it because they wouldn't put the work in on the practice. This is us. This is us. We sit around feeding ourselves prophetically, making ourselves feel real good about who we are, but it's only in our minds. It's only in our minds because we're not actually living it out. We don't have anyone standing by saying, okay, tell me what it is that you see. And then, the, and then you saying like, oh, do it. I'll record you. And then... Oh, that's what it looks like. 
Yes, you're doing nothing. Totally ineffective. Totally ineffective. We are totally ineffective as Christ followers. We are. We are mostly ineffective because we are content to sit around and do nothing but complain about everything that's wrong. Do you know that all the solutions are housed in you? If you have enough energy to complain about what's going on in the world around you or globally, you have all the energy it takes to change it. And that's what's true. But you just don't have any honest friends. Right? Like we don't actually have honest people in our lives. Or we've just not asked anyone to hold us accountable. First thing Pepper said to me this morning, we, we, we hopped on Zoom, and the first thing Pepper said this morning is, did you make your bed, Angie? It's like, yes. <laughs> Who is in your life that is holding you accountable to the thing that God is asking of you? Now, me making my bed is just like super small. Right? We've already agreed to that. That's not that big of a deal. But it is unto something. So start somewhere. I don't care what it is that you do. Just start somewhere. Find someone who's going to hold you accountable. Someone who's willing to be that coach in your life saying, okay, tell me what it looks like. What has he said to you? What did he say when you said, show me myself? Show me myself lavished in your glory, Jesus. What is it that I'm doing? Right? And then do your best to put it into motion and have somebody standing by to be like, hey, hey, did that look like this? Right? Because this is what Jesus showed me. Who do you have in your life that you're willing to to stand by Stand guard and watch to make sure you're doing the thing. All I know to tell you is this. Fire is coming, ready or not. It is. It's coming. Because he's serious about a pure and spotless bride now. This isn't in the sweet by and by. This is now. It's coming. Are you willing to invite it in before it gets here? He has a lot he wants to release to us, but it will take a purity so that we're able to actually do the things the way he wants them done. Have you ever paid attention to any of the revivals of the past? Done any studying? Ever watched God's generals? Every, so many back up. So many of their lives ended in demise because they would not yield fully to the fire. They would not take the every six steps and say, burn me alive! Right? Like we have to take this seriously. We need to be living sacrifices. We've got to stop getting up. Live dead. It's what we need. And you too, you're not too young. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you off. You're not too young. Start asking him now. Burn me alive. Ask him, what's it look like? You're not too young. Don't wait.
Would all of you echo that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Wait, do it again. Yeah. Like there, there's like, do you hear it? There's like an emphasis in that. Mm-hmm. That's a mom. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Don't wait that. You know what that is? I, I want you to understand because what that is, is understanding of what it feels like to wait. Yeah. Okay. Don't wait. Give him yourself now. Okay. Let's pray. You guys can finish reading this later. It goes on. I think we got to, I think we got to where we were going. Yeah, you can read the rest. Okay, Jesus, you are so intense right now. Oh, Jesus. All I know to do is yield to you. All I know to do, Jesus, we yield to you. We yield to you. Draw close. Draw close again. Draw close again. And we repent. Father, we repent of the idols that we have made out of shame and the idols that we have made out of offense and the idols that we have made out of sheer jealousy. We're turning away from those things right now. If that's you, I just want you to like see in your mind, like yourself actually turning away from those things. We are turning away from that. We repent of that. We repent for allowing it in your house. We say no to offense and to jealousy, to shame, to fear. Your idea idolatrous ways cannot exist here anymore. And Father, we acknowledge that it's your kindness that causes us to turn around in the first place. Right now, I just thank you. There is an invitation to return to first love, love. That love where we just can't get enough of you. Mm. And I'm just going to speak trust into this room. Whether you're here physically or you are online, I just speak trust. Trust one to another. And we can trust one another. We have to trust one another. That we will let the lesser things go. That we will drop those weights. And we'll enter into a trust relationship with one another. Not a tryout. A trust relationship. Jesus, right now, we just make much of your name. You are so worthy, Jesus. You're so worthy to have all eyes on you. You're so worthy to have words of worth just flowing from our mouths to you, surrounding you. You are so worthy, beautiful in all your ways, magnificent, majestic. Look what you have done. 
Look what you have done. Jesus, we thank you for all you've accomplished on our behalf. And we acknowledge that it is finished. It is finished. And we are co-heirs. We are seated. And that we are going to walk in holiness as you've designed us. And we will become your glory dispensers. In Jesus' name.